I'm Sinead O'Moore, and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to guests about their own unique experiences of parenting. The insane joy and anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, tears, and the moments we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy weaning months, water wipes. Made here in Ireland, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract, making them ideal to protect and gently cleanse sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Emer O'Neill, the newest member of RTE's Today Show, an author, an advocate and a mother of two, doing her best to make positive changes in the world. Emer, in her own words, is too black to be white and too white to be black. Growing up in Ireland, nobody looked like her, had hair like her, skin like her, was her. To fit in, she didn't share its impact. But it was taking its toll on her self-identity, self-love, self-worth and mental health. And now, as a mother of two, she is doing what she can to advocate for meaningful change. We talk about her leap from PE teacher to TV presenter, how she is excited for all the opportunities opening up for her, while also mothering her baby girl and son. We talk about breastfeeding in green rooms, forgetting pumps while away and the incredible support she has had from other women. And the abuse that she has suffered since speaking out about racism and lack of diversity. Her new children's book, The Same But Different, is a gift to us as parents as it supports us in speaking to our children about inclusivity across race, gender, religion, sexuality and needs. And it'll definitely be delivered by the big man under my tree this Christmas. Emer, thank you so much for joining me on Everyone the Podcast. You are somebody who I constantly am like, I have to, so many times we've we've almost made this happen. And thankfully, this week, the stars aligned. Uh, you are an incredibly busy woman at the moment. There is the book. There is the TV show on RTE. There are many opportunities and gigs. You're still motivating us to stay exercised and positive, to love ourselves, to do more for ourselves. Where do you find the time for you? Well, thank you for that introduction. That's so nice. And uh, I'm really glad we were able to finally find the time, both of us, to link up and do this. Um, where do I find the time? It's only when you list things like that. I'm, I'm wrecked after just listening to you name <laughs> all those things. I think I try and not think about it. Do you know that way you're on a wheel, you're a mouse on a wheel. And I think if I was to stop, I'd probably keel over and die. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the idea is just keep going. Um, I feel like I've been given loads of opportunities and I'm just grabbing the bull by the horns and I'm just saying, suck it up, Beamer. You know what I mean? This is these are chances of a lifetime. So there's, you know, you can you can be tired when you're dead. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> Figure it out later. Absolutely. You do still, you have two small kids. Yeah. You have, and how you, how old is Sonny Ray now? Sonny Ray is 19 months and Kai is seven years old. 
because 19 months like that's still that's demanding baby land still yeah like I mean because you know when they start walking you're like wishing they they would walk for so long and then when they start you're like oh my god my job is so much harder now damn it can I take that back (laughs) you know um but she can't talk so we're still in that I don't know what's wrong with you um and she's a total diva like wowzers um compared to Kai she's like just her personality is completely different she's absolutely mental she's exactly like me (laughs) which I think is a good thing more emers in the world (laughs) one of the things I spotted though around that whole thing of opportunity and just say yes and not Mm -hmm. limiting ourselves to the role that we're in right now with young Mm -hmm. children and pursuing Mm. things I saw a picture of you behind the scenes about to go on TV and there you are breastfeeding in the green room and the facilitation of you know of course I can do this and I can feed my baby yeah because I I, I'm I breastfeed and I have to coach my even my own mind out of can I say yes to that yeah 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 I mean there's a fine line between being a yes person um, and burning yourself out and taking on things that you can handle. And I think that's really, really important. And there have definitely been times where I've had to stop myself and say, hold on now, like your mental health is starting to suffer. Physically, you're exhausted. Like, I feel like I've had a cold for the the last three weeks, you know, so your body is telling you to slow down. Um, so it is important that we watch what we're doing too, and we're not giving ourselves too much to handle. Because uh, the last thing we need is a, a breakdown, and then the whole family falls apart, you know. So our roles as mums are, are so important. Um, we kind of carry the weight of everything, you know. Even when we're not doing something, we're thinking about the thing that we're going to do or need to do, um, and that in itself is tiring. But um, I. I suppose given the opportunities to to make a difference for me I just kind of said if not now then when and when I had my son um I was a single parent when I had him and I did my breast I started my breastfeeding journey and I think we we lasted I think six months or thereabouts but I I went back to work when he was full-time when he was two months old so he was being given off to every time Dick and Harry and you know before long even though people had been asking me, how long are you going to breastfeed for Emer? Uh, I did actually realize that it might not be my decision. And mm. one day Kai just was like, well, nope, don't want your nipple, give me Papa. And I was devastated, like mm. devastated, uh, because I thought it was going to be my decision and I wasn't. Um, but this time around with Sonny has been very different because I have my husband and um, I've had a lot of different supports around me, I suppose. And, um, and it was touch and go there for a while, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and um, I remember one night my husband turned to me and he says, and I, I know he meant this from a really, it was coming from a good place. And he said, look, will I just go down and get her a bottle? You know, and I kind of looked at him <laughs> with demon eyes. <laughs> and I was like, no. Why? No, I can do this. I can do this, please. I can do this. I can do this. I just, I was really struggling to get her to latch on. Um, and I just, even having the experience of breastfeeding before with Kai, like it just was totally different. And, and I just was really struggling. And I was aware that I was keeping everyone in the house up and I was feeling really bad. And I was suffering with postnatal depression. So it was a struggle. 
Um, and it was touch and go there for a while in terms of will I just give in and just give her the bottle. Um, but I didn't. And I got great support from my husband and um, uh, one of the actual the lactation midwives in Hollis Street had given me her phone number. So we were WhatsApping each other. Like when I was telling her I can't do this, she kept going back to me saying, you can do this. She gave me a call one day and she said, please, can you tell your husband to not say anything about bottles? OK, just explain to him what that means for you, because, you know, he's he's pointing out that you're failing and that mm-hmm. it's bothering him perhaps, too, even if he doesn't even realize that that's yeah. he what thinks that's a, he thinks that's the answer. To. Mm. exactly and honestly he's only trying to help you know um because he can see me getting really upset with myself because I'm not getting her to latch um but sure here we are 19 months later and uh, still breastfeeding and I could like I wouldn't have imagined it at all that I'd still be going and I absolutely love it it's like the most beautiful thing I have ever experienced in my life um I think the experience with Kai was very different I was younger I was really paranoid I was really embarrassed I used to go and hide and breastfeed and all that stuff uh whereas this time around I will whip my boob out wherever I damn please (laughs) (laughs) and if you have a problem with that then you better leave (laughs) um but yeah it's been great to work with people and companies like RTE that have been so understanding making sure that I have an area that I can express or breastfeed um and you know and, and it just be like totally normal and totally cool which it is you know so um, but I know how lucky I am um, I'm being able to to continue my journey whilst traveling because I'm I'm away from her three days a week you know and for that three days my husband gives her a bottle um, but she won't drink it she just plays with the teeth of the of the bottle as if it was my nipple and just mm. messes around with that and sometimes gives it an ounce up but like she's just waiting for me to come home and as soon as I walk in the door, she'll make eye contact with me for like two seconds and straight away her head's underneath my jumper. <laughs> oh. Three days though, because I get that now. So I, as we just spoke about, when we're finished this, I'm running to go pick up my 13 month old from Gresh. And the right. moment she sees me, I am just a walking mm. boob to her. And she's oh, like, absolutely. I have absolutely. not seen you in eight hours. Exactly. Let what, the like, feast begin. Story like? yeah where are the boobs that's all I care about show me the boobies (laughs) it's it's intense and I kind of have to like I almost in my plan of my day now I have to schedule in as soon as I pick her up and we get in the door like that's it I'm I'm sad on that's it yeah 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 so you're not like I'll get in and I'll I'll make lunch you know that's not happening first will be booby time and then you'll be able to make lunch or whatever exactly um and it's, it is gas like there was times where I was kind of thinking oh you know what I think I've had enough um and but then it's it's like I got like my third or fourth wind and I'm like back loving it again you know um but she by no means looks like she wants to stop and but it, it can get a lot mm. when especially when you're trying to sleep and mm-hmm. you know she'll sometimes we'll get her through till maybe four or five um and uh, when she comes into the bed then she just latches on and then she won't won't get off you know so I'm I have to I'm trying to sleep whilst she's feeding you know um and I know we're told don't let your kids use you as a dodie um but look it it just is what it is uh, it keeps her happy it keeps her asleep she feels safe and and loved and if that's what it takes then that's what we do you know my thing is I don't know how not 
to let her use me as mm. a soothing device. That's yeah, you know, that's it. That's yeah. what I am to her. Yeah. And I can pace the halls with her at four o'clock and mm-hmm. let her cry. Mm-hmm. Or I can nuzzle her in beside me and at least, as you said, it's not really sleep. I close my eyes and I'm still. Yeah. And I feel the weight of the depletion every so often if there's a growth spurt, if there's teething, if there's illness, if there's a real Mm. run of I'm I'm her lifeline, you know, Um, and I feel depleted. And then it's and then I kind of kind of think, well, that's the way it is supposed to be. But where are the things to fill me back up? Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, too, like you, you forget it, but when you're breastfeeding you're giving a lot of your nutrients to your baby mm. you know so you do need to ensure you're looking after yourself and you know you're either like I started taking the a through z zinc um vitamin tablet there and I have noticed a difference but I think it, it you do forget about yourself sometimes mm. and again it goes back to like you the whole place will fall apart if you're not together so you've got to take care of number one otherwise you can't take care of number two three and four you know and um, but I, actually at the weekend um I had I had fed we she fed for probably an hour I'd say on Sunday before I hopped in the car to go to Cork and uh, just before I was going to bed I was like oh will I, will I express now and I was feeling them and I was like no actually all right so I went to bed woke up in the morning and everything's going to plan you know I'm getting I'm like oh my god I'm actually on time it's brilliant so I was like I'll sit down now and have a leisurely express in the hotel room as opposed to in the office and uh, do you think I could find the uh, I think it's the flange that part the Mm -hmm. you know that actually goes onto the boob oh my god I was like (gasps) I tore the room apart everything everywhere and nowhere to be found and I was like are you serious because I remember when I left the house the last thing Sean said to me is have you got your pump and I was like yes of course I do Mm -hmm. And uh, I did. I had every other part of it, just not that part. Um, so I'm freaking out because th- this happened to me before and I ended up having to buy a new one. And uh, so I put a shout out on uh, the Breastfeeding Ireland, Extended Breastfeeding Ireland group. I put something up on my Instagram and it was just unbelievable. Like the amount of people that came back to me and uh, a lady came out, brought me part that I needed um and I was on live on tv as she brought it and uh when I came out after the show I picked it up and I was like it didn't have the connector one of the parts of the connectors where the pump actually goes in and uh I texted her and I said do you have that I'll, I'll come out to you and you know get it and uh she said you will not at all I'll be back out to you now and she drove back she said I'm just putting the kids to bed and I'll come back out to you and I was like like no are you no and she's like yes and I met her outside and I was like I had been gifted like some makeup products and like a dress or something else and I was just like everything into a bag I bought her a bottle of wine I was like I love you you are a savior you actually don't even know well she probably does as a breastfeeding mom but like Mm -hmm. when you're stuck like that and everyone's saying just hand express and I'm like yeah I would if I could but I can't like (laughs) I can't it's just it's just been a thing I can't do it and I find it really painful when I'm really full which I was really full because we're talking about I hadn't had her on boobs since Sunday evening Mm -hmm. and we're now Monday night you know um but it was just so amazing to see so many women come together um and try and help me the amount of messages was just I was like that's what it's all about ladies you know fixing each other crown being there for each other 
I love um, that. That's, and that's the worst system. It, as you said, it's you have to get it. You have to understand. Do you also feel when you've been away from her, it's not only the boobs filling up and the soreness and the risk mm-hmm. of mastitis, the risk of serious exactly. infection. Yeah. Do you also feel rising anxiety as though your body has this alarm system of like, she's hungry, she's hungry, she's hungry, she's hungry. Like it doesn't know she's okay. It just feels like, why aren't you feeding your baby? Because I feel like my body is just screaming, feed your baby, feed your baby, feed your baby, feed your baby if I'm away from her. And I have to really Mm -hmm. like tune into it and tell my brain it's okay. She's okay. Exactly. Yeah. um, I think. That definitely was the thing. So the first, so the first weekend I had gone down for the show, um, the whole family came with me. We did, we stayed on Photo uh, Island, and we made it a family thing. You know, because obviously, like when I told Kai, he's seven, he was like, "So I'm not going to see you for three whole sleeps," you know. And I'm like, mm. "So I wanted it to be his journey too." So he was there that weekend and had a great time. So for him his the idea and the memory of Cork and me going there is a nice place and he's happy for me right but um it it was oh the second weekend sorry Sean came with me that weekend so it was the third weekend so the third set of shows I was on my own and I went into my room and I don't know I could feel it as I as I was going up in the elevator I could feel it as I was walking down the hall just my anxiety was just I could just feel it brewing and I was thinking to myself oh god what's happening oh god what's happening I got into the room and I was like oh so I, I started doing my 7-eleven breathing which is has been a life savior for me um when my anxiety gets bad but so I'm breathing in for seven I'm breathing out for 11 I'm sitting on the bed and it's just getting worse and worse and do you know what it was it was it was a it was a fear it was a fear of loneliness I think it was the first time in what 18 months I'd ever I'd been on my own mm-hmm. like there was nobody with me I was alone I was I was scared it was really it was it was insane it's hard even to describe why I was feeling these feelings but and I had planned to eat my dinner in the room but I said I have to go down to the restaurant I need to be around other people um and thankfully that only happened that time every other trip since funny enough has been like okay bye (laughs) (laughs) thankfully you know um getting away has been has been amazing I feel like myself again you know and and just that time where you can just be alone and have some silence Mm. and no one's asking you questions or pulling on you or hanging out of you or you know it's it's something really that I I I'm very grateful for you know and then I'm grateful that I have a husband that's able to just keep the ship sailing while I'm away you know house looks like bomb hit it when I came back when I come back but you know everyone's still alive (laughs) and the house hasn't been burnt down so you know it's good (laughs) but what an opportunity that you had to say yes to what an opportunity you know what I mean I couldn't say no and it's funny because I I I decided myself and my husband we decided look will I take a career break for a year I've been teaching 12 years and um I started off with the homeschool hub and I was doing exercise with Emer as Moon Tour Emer on there. And that's kind of where my TV started. And that's, that literally happened 18 months ago. Um, and um, after that gig was over, because we were only relevant when schools were locked mm-hmm. down, because we were teaching kids basically during the day. Um, 
I was getting other gigs, loads of other little things. And I was working with Sports Ireland and Olympic Ireland and work was coming in. And I was I was like, I, I think I could possibly make a living out of this. And uh, we both decided that I'd take a year career break from teaching. And I'd say I was like two months in after making that decision, signing all the papers and everything. And uh, I was like, what have we done? Oh my God, what have, what have we done? Because we need both wages. There's no way we're surviving just on Sean's wage. We've got a mortgage, we've got two kids. And I was like, I just kind of, I hope that something more solid would have come uh, so that I would know there was a paycheck coming in because it's TV is very much so week to week. Like, you, you, like I have no idea what I'm doing in January. I have nothing, um, you know? So uh, I was... I was nervous about the decision I had made and thinking maybe I've made a big faux pas here. And then I get a call from um, the, the director, Colin, out in RTE Cork. And they had had me on to, to have a trial in May. They, were, they did this lovely thing, right, where they took eight different presenters um, and gave them the opportunity to present the show with Dahi while Sinead Kennedy was on her maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the names that was picked for that. Again, when I got that call, I was kind of like, are you sure you have the right Emer O'Neill now? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I've no experience doing live TV. I had only been on TV for like, I don't know, five months and everything's pre-recorded and you can stop and start and everything. So I, I, was, I was delighted, but I, co- I couldn't believe it. And I was very nervous. Um, but when Sinead decided to take the extended maternity leave that's when Colin came back to me and said look we have a slot from September till through till December and we'd like for you to to fill that slot solely and I just couldn't I was like I'm gonna need you to repeat that please (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry come again sir what did you say (laughs) and I just I nearly died I couldn't believe it I was just giddy I was giddy out and uh, and I remember I rang my husband after I got off the phone to him and I I told him what had happened and he just made this these series of noises it was like legitimately so happy for me it's like it happened to him you know I was like that was so beautiful I've never seen him act like that ever or make those strange noises so this was definitely a special moment for us um but uh yeah it was it was that moment in time where I was like god is good and thank god I did take the career break I went with my gut and I, I took a chance and I did the right thing I think you know so it's just been you've been got amazing. to leap you've got to oh, leap you when do. you feel it's so that hard though, Sinead, you know it's so hard and I know there's people out there listening now being like oh gosh I, I I there's this that I've always wanted to do and I wish I could you know do it and we actually talked about it on the today show with a psychologist there the other day about taking that leap um because at the end of the day you might have a mortgage you have a family to support you might have loans you've got bills ultimately taking that limp leap it sounds great but one is the grass always greener on the other side and then also what if you fail what if it doesn't work out you know you you need something to feed your family with at the end of the day so it's never it's never as easy as as it co- comes across as um it's a courageous move uh, but I'm telling you I it's the best thing that I ever did I'm happier than I've ever been and um like I love 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 teaching obviously I've been doing it 12 years it was a passion like I knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was in secondary school there's pretty much nearly no one in my year that I spoke to 
in sixth year that knew what they wanted to do mm. you know it was all like oh, I guess I'll put this down on the CAO or or CAO yeah yeah and uh but I was always like I want to be a PE teacher I, I knew it you know so I love working with kids I love kids it's my favorite thing and being able to work then with teenagers during a period of time that there's so much change happening in their lives and I it brings me back to my teenage years in school and I, I really I struggled so bad with um my mental health but I didn't know that that's what it was at the time and um, I struggled with an eating disorder I struggled with my identity and mm. self uh, love body dysphoria I there was just so much and I I never felt I had support really you know um and so for me my goal was always to be that teacher that I hoped that kids could come to if they needed help and that I would always talk openly and freely about myself and my life with them so that they would always know even if they don't have come and talk to me personally they know that perhaps what they're going through is normal and um and and ways to help or you know just to feel like they're not alone because somebody can look at you and say oh they've got everything they've got it all together they've got it all figured out you know um and I'm going to be the first one that will put my hand up and say if you if any of you ever think that about me let me let me let me talk to you let me tell let me tell you the truth girl Mm -hmm. because we I don't have it all together um and I take every day as it comes and when it comes to mental health you know people can relate it you just never know you never know how you're going to wake up and so um I I like to always talk openly about that and my troubles with like loving my body and you know the constant thing of I need to lose weight I need to diet I, I hate this about me I hate that about me I don't like my hair you know it's been a journey and I've come to a, a place in my life where I I do feel self-love and self-worth but it's taken me 35 years to get here literally this podcast is just one way that every mom can support you another amazing way is with our free gift bag packed full of essentials for you and baby including free samples of water wipes the number one wipe against nappy rash to receive yours just register now on everymom.ie there's a free gift bag there waiting for every mom um what do you think were the origins of that and what do you think you've done that has propelled that journey okay so the orange origins of why i felt that way Mm. i would say a lot of it has to do with growing up in a predominantly white country and being mixed race um and being very different to everybody around me including my mother um never seeing anyone that looked like me zero representation within school within the media within my toys movies everything like life in general uh so I always had this constant desire I don't think I ever had a desire to be white but I had a desire to like have straight hair like all my friends and like you know maybe have their kind of body shape and and stuff like that um and it really it really messed with me Uh, like I I as a child thought I was gorgeous but as I got older and older and heard people tell me over and over that I I looked like a monkey or an ape or my skin looks like you know crap or you know uh my hair was like uh, sheep's wool or looked like I had been electrocuted um you know over time that penetrates not just into the skin but into the soul 
um, and you start to believe that of, of yourself. Um, so it's it's been a journey, you know, um, to find that self love, and um, and I think one of the biggest turning points in my life was was when George Floyd was murdered and and the effects that that had on me. Um, there were so many people around me and they talked about how America is just so backwards and so racist and what a horrendous place to live and all of this. Now I lived in America for 10 years so I can speak on this because I've lived here and I've lived there um, and I honestly I just I just, I found it so difficult to hear because there was so much finger pointing. And I thought to myself, do people realize this happens right here on our doorstep, right? You don't, like, you know, at that time, nobody shot, um, but it's a case of, it's happening right under your nose, right on your doorstep. But we, for some reason, I don't know, a blind eye has always been turned to it. It's just not been a topic of importance. Um, and that moment for me, I said, I need to talk about this. I, I need to tell somebody how I feel. I need to tell people what it was like growing up and the horrendous racism that I endured growing up and still do as an adult. And um, I made a video and my husband was, was so are you sure you want to do this you know because there is there, there are going to be trolls there'll be possible backlash and um I was like you're right and I was suffering with postnatal depression it's the last thing I needed you know um and I I slept on it and I came to the conclusion that if I didn't post that video now then when mm -hmm. and if I didn't talk about this now then when and I'd started seeing my son come in and say a few things to me, like, oh, I wish I had white skin like dad, or I wish my hair was like the lads. And like when I run, it would blow in the wind the way theirs does. I was starting to see these little things creeping in that reminded me exactly of myself growing up. Mm -hmm. And so in the 35 years of my life, things actually on the surface might have looked like we've become more diverse, which we have, but below the surface had anything changed? Um, and so I said, I'm going to, I, I need to do this for my kids. I need to do this for all of the children, um, you know, without a black heritage or from ethnic minority groups. Um, and that video had 15,000 views. And then I was asked to speak at a, a Black Lives Matter rally. I had never done anything like that in my life before. I'd never actually spoken about racism at all because mm. in the past when I did, I was either met with silence or I was met, met with gaslighting in terms of like being asked questions like, are you sure that's the way it happened? Or yeah, but like you think it was like that, but it might not have been like that. Or actually, you know, the Irish, like we like to have a bit of crack. Um, I didn't even know that what the word gaslight meant until, you know, 18 months ago when I started my journey and my activist journey. And I've learned so much. I, I did not allow myself to learn about my culture, my Nigerian culture. My mom's from Ireland, she's from Wexford and my dad's from Nigeria. And I did not allow myself to learn about my, my Nigerian culture because I was ashamed of it. I grew up in a time where people would say things like put money in the baby for, for in the sorry money in the box for the black babies and mm. um, that would say oh did you get that email from the, the Nigerians the scammers you know so it, it wasn't something that I ever I, I wanted to be the, the, the same as everyone I wanted to, did not want to be 
any, any more of a highlighted, you know, highlighted topic than I already felt like I was. Because no matter where I would go, I would always be generally like 98% of the time, the only person of color in a room ever, you know, most places that I would go or anything that I would do. Um, and, and I would, people would turn and stare, you know, and people would ask me questions like, where are you from? And when I'd say Wicklow, I'd be asked again the same question. Yeah, but like, where are you really from? And I'm like, well, like Bray, you know, the town of Bray. And then it's like, yeah, but like, where are you actually from? And as I was younger, I didn't understand that question. Now I do. Now I know what people are fishing for because the minute I say, oh, do you mean like, 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 because my skin is brown? And it's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, my dad's Nigerian. And then it's like, ah, okay, grand. So you're Nigerian then. Hmm. And I, as, a, as a young person, I did not see myself as a Nigerian. Um, I wasn't a Nigerian. I was a, an Irish woman uh, that was part Nigerian, you know. Um, and constantly having to defend my Irishness was just, oh, man, so tiring. And, and it still happens. Uh, a thing popped up on my, my memory um, on Facebook. And I had posted this three years ago. And I actually remember exactly where I was as well. And I was in a pub. And I don't know how it, the conversation came up, but the person that I had just met said to me, um, so how, how are you finding Ireland? Do, do you like it? <laughs> and this is in Bray in my hometown where I've lived, born and raised in 1985. And I'm being asked by a stranger, how, I, how do I find Ireland? Mm. Do I like it here? I represented my country playing basketball. I played basketball for Ireland. Like, I'm just like, uh, it's tough. It's heartbreaking you know and and that I think is a huge reason why I I, I suffer with my mental health I suffer mm. you know with uh, w- I, I suffered really badly with a lack of of self-worth and confidence and an identity because I felt like I was never really accepted because I remember traveling even to Africa with my dad I went to Nigeria with him one time when I was in third year I think and uh, everybody there was staring at me <laughs> and I'm like oh my god dad why is everyone staring at me and he's like well because you're white and I'm just like, oh, I can't like, so the saying I'm too white to be black, but I'm too black to be white became a common mantra for me. You know, you just fall somewhere in the middle. Um, but I've done a lot of work to remedy those feelings and that hurt and that pain. Um, and between therapy and counseling, um, but also my activist work has been this amazing journey for me that has lifted like it's like I've been carrying it around a, a backpack of bricks my whole mm-hmm. life and being able to talk openly about my experiences has helped me as a person grow so much and has allowed me to allow myself to love myself for the way I am like I never wore I'm, I'm you know this is a podcast but we're, we're looking at each other so you mm. can see I have my afro out right now and my afro is in full fro mode um I was 30 I think three before I ever wore my hair out in an afro ever ever in my life because I was completely ashamed of it I hated it I was so embarrassed by it nobody not even family had seen my afro and that's the God honest truth. And even my best friend that we're best friends with since primary school, I was her maid of, uh, I was her bridesmaid at her wedding. She was my maid of honor. I'm her kid's godmother. The stories that I spoke about, because I did a lot of takeovers on Instagram pages and I created a lot of different videos 
texts that were easy, easily accessible to people that wanted to become a bit more knowledgeable about racism mm-hmm. in Ireland. Um, she said, Emer, I had no idea you were going through all of this all these years. Why didn't you ever say anything? And I was like, it's a long story, but uh, I, I wasn't in a position to be able to physically. And um, the times that I ever did, I was always shut down and made feel different, more different than I already did. So I just learned over time to not talk about it. So if I was called the N-word walking down the street, I would just totally ignore that and try and hope my friends didn't hear it because I wouldn't want to embarrass them. And like I was in a in when I was in primary school, I was uh, tormented by a guy from my estate. Um, he would literally follow me around with my friends, calling me the N-word and telling me that he was going to kill me. Um, and I was all the only feeling and emotion that I can tell you that I felt was embarrassment and fear for my friends and that they wouldn't like me anymore because they'd be like because she's hanging around with us we're bringing this negativity into our lives like let's just get rid of her guys and I felt like that always so I did rejected further yeah and I did find friendships quite difficult as well because there was always a part of me I suppose that that uh, maybe thought that they felt sorry for me to be and were my friend you know um and I wrote I wrote a book because it was important for me to try and start getting these conversations in schools um, and get young young people talking about it because the thing is what I find is people they don't like somebody says the word black and it's like ooh taboo what did you say black ooh and I I'm like what is wrong with the word black why why are we so afraid to use it why are we so afraid to point out a person's ethnicity like it's it's okay like I'm I'm happy that my skin is brown. I'm aware my skin is brown. And for someone to say to me, oh, I don't see color. I say to them, well, that is a privilege that you have been able to have that I have not. Mm. And also see my color. I want you to see my color. There's nothing wrong with my color. Mm. Um, and so my book is called The Same But Different. And I think like the title is The Same but Different because that's kind of my way of saying, yes, we are different but we're also very much so the same. Uh, and I've done a couple of readings to classes and it's just so cute. I did a reading to a second a second class group and they had a million questions for me after. It's like the most intense interview I've ever had in my life. Um, and one of the kids toward the end um, came up and said, um, I had a friend before, but then they said that they couldn't be my friend anymore because um, because I was brown and that they didn't like me. And Jesus, Sinead, it took everything for me to not cry. Like, wait, my, my heart just second class. So what Six, are they? Eight. eight, eight, yeah. And it's, it's just, so you know, so, it's so young. But the consensus from the kids was that like, your book has helped me this the, the talk I actually gave was to um it's a it's an all-Muslim school in Dublin it's the Muslim school in Dublin so every, all of the kids I w- was talking to I know they can all relate you know mm-hmm. um and it was such a, a a helpful book for them to read and realize that they're not on their own you know but it's not just for that it's it's for everybody it's for every single child in the country because we have all felt that feeling of being ostracized, left out and feel, feeling different. It can be because of your eye color, your hair color, your, the, your shoe size, your clothing size, whatever it is. So 
the book isn't about racism. The book is about being different and that that's your unique superpower, in fact. You know, that being different is a great thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I just, I, I want, I had to put it on paper. I wanted something because I needed, I wanted a tool for my son even and my daughter to be able to talk to him about this. Because in the last month alone, my son was told that his skin looked like poo. Um, and he was also told, or call, he was called a black dick. Um, and now for as a mother, you know, when your child comes home at, at all and has been hurt, mm. you you hurt. Mm-hmm. But I just Primal. want the listeners <laughs> to just imagine and put yourself in my shoes and imagine your child came home and said, like, basically, somebody told me my, my skin is like poo, which is shit, which smells disgusting, looks disgusting, is disgusting. And is something that we do in the privacy of just ourselves and our toilet because it's so like gross um and then being called a black dick and he's seven Hmm. it's it's so hurtful it's so it's just it's hard to even put words to it to be honest because the pain that I feel for him to have to feel that pain is overwhelming and it that's why I suppose I've been doing all of this work Hmm on the other side of it you know I I with a, fe- a fellow I started a group Brave for Love and it's an anti-racism group and uh, one of my colleagues from that group we we wrote an anti-racism policy that we want to publish and uh, send to every school in the country because at the moment there are no such things these incidents happened at school by the way that's yeah. the relation here now with the anti-racism policy but and there is nothing of the likes at the moment around so I've I've sent we finally finished it it took us a year because we we work full-time you know um but um I've sent it to Norma Foley I've sent it to Simon Harris I've sent it to the NCCA um I I just I, I want them to help get it into schools because I we it took us a year to write it because we had no material to use anywhere there's there was nothing in Ireland to help scratch. write this you know I, we had to go to the likes of the UK to Australia to the states to find the content you know and I wanted to say like in paragraph you know 1.1 of the NCCA's guidelines t- in relation to racism but I couldn't do that because there's nothing there mm. you know um some schools have made efforts and you know have maybe a one-page document that have a couple of paragraphs about inclusion and stuff like that which is great because at least they're trying but when you go in and click on their anti-bullying policy, it's this in-depth document that's 12 pages long, like, you know. Um, so I'm trying to make these steps and I, and I see so many people in the community trying to do what they can to help educate people around them, you know. And even if it's as simple as leaving a freaking WhatsApp group because you just cannot listen to somebody yeah. say, I'm like, I don't, don't mean anything by this, but and go on into something completely racist, you know, um, calling people out on things, you know, supporting people of color, you know, getting to know people of color in your community, surrounding yourself with different cultures, you know, your reading material, the stuff you watch on TV, the toys you buy your children, like all of these things, these are things that we, are tangible things that we ourselves can change in our own homes and in our own lives, you know? So that's why I say, even with this book, it starts this conversation because a lot of moms say to me, I don't even, where do I start with that conversation here? And the answer is, I don't know. It just, I don't know. But this book, I think, will help, help you talk about it and you'll you'll be able to judge, you know, where your child is at 
in in terms of being able to understand and and actually take that information in like I've I've had to talk to my son about things that I, I wouldn't probably have talked to him about until maybe he was a little bit older but I've had no choice because we've been like terribly harassed since I started my activist journey like his the house was egged on his sixth birthday um my name was graffitied all over the town uh, my full name Emer O'Neill shut the f up all lives matter and and calling me a slut and it was popping up every second weekend just everywhere all over and then it started happening in my estate so these people knew where I lived mm. so we had to get cameras in there was acid poured on my neighbor's car um the star- I swear to god um, I, I tell you not a word of a lie Sinead and the sergeant of Bray came up to my house and said look um obviously there's been a slew of of harassment towards you um and uh this makes no sense this an elderly couple that um whose car they were done but were were both kind of in a location that you could mix up easily and also we both have suvs um and um my neighbor's camera caught it and these two men walked out of the forest that's across from us and uh took out bottles and the two of them walked around the car with the bottles pouring the acid on the car and nonchalantly with their hoods up walked back into the forest gone and this was like half six in the evening or something yeah and their car was totally totaled because if the acid got into the engine and inside into the interior of the vehicle and everything um but the sergeant just said like you know this was obviously meant for you um and um I just wanted to personally come up and just tell you that we are trying to figure out who's doing all of this but you know we've we've hit a dead end and it was and it was at that point then that I said we're getting cameras Sean we have to get cameras because now I feel unsafe and I want I I need to protect my family but that is that is (coughs) that is the height of threatening that that is just the the threat involved in that the intention involved in that the harm involved in that yeah it's a level far beyond graffiti. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Whole, it was. A, it took a whole new step. Yeah. In, in, a, in a bad direction, but it was a means to try and get me to stop talking because I just kept talking about racism and I kept trying to make a change and make difference. Being involved in different pro programs, talking about I report, you know, an app that you can report racism on. Talking about this, going like on the late late show, on the Ryan Tubby radio show, on the Ray, on Ray Darcy. I just I was pissing people off, and they wanted me to stop talking about it. But in fact, what they did, they fueled my fire, and I had so much support from the people of Ireland that it kept me going like honestly there were days where I could have easily just succumbed to depression and just said no this isn't for me someone else needs to do this Mm -hmm. I can't do it this is someone else's problem and but I had like thousands and I I mean thousands of messages Mm -hmm. of fair play to you girl uh you know keep going we're here with you and we're trying to have those conversations with our friends and our family as well you're not alone uh things like you're a beautiful Irish woman you know just just yeah it kept me going it gave me motivation it gave me if it made me feel supported and it gave me the strength to continue the fight like you know without it I definitely would have given up a long time ago Um, you're here writing you're here writing a children's book on how to help children understand racism and feel included even outside of race to feel 
that it's okay yeah. to, you are the same not different you know exactly it's about it's something beautiful and precious and innocent and that something that our children need a narrative around and a, and a language around and a way to feel like they understand how bullying can make people feel so excluded. Exactly. Something so beautiful. And the response is acid. Mm. You're on the right side of this, <laughs> you know, like when yeah. you break it down, it's a children's book. I know you've done incredible work across other things, but it's so important. Yeah. And yeah. the level of their reaction just shows how much fear they have for the power that you hold. But you're right. Like the book, it's a book about inclusion. Like, and I tried, I, I tried to make it as inclusive as possible. Like I have a boy who has cochlear implant. I have um, a boy in a wheelchair. I've got a girl wearing a hijab, a, gr a girl with glasses. I have red hair. I have brown hair. I have blue eyes. I've, I've tried my best to to make it as inclusive as I as I could you know um because it's a message for everybody and this is the thing sometimes like people seem to think that movies featuring like let's say a people person of color as the the main character or a protagonist in a whatever um is for people of color it's not though it's it's for everybody like it's so important that we are opening our children up um to be worldly human beings that genuinely are global learners and accepting of other people's cultures and understanding of them and feel the capacity to have empathy for others without having to experience exactly what they've experienced by being able to relate to people and find commonalities instead of differences and creating barriers you know and that's the that's that's the most important thing that I want to get out of this book for people and the continued voice that I have to to say you know get involved in your community into in your in the minority ethnic minority groups and minority groups in general you know we're talking about LGBTQ people of different religions everything you know um and I think if, if it can make even one child uh, see that they're not alone um, or spot something and say, no, that's not right. I'm going to stand up to that or even educate parents. Like, cause they, people say, what, what age is this book for? And I'm like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of ageless. Like, and I'm not being funny, but in such a subtle way, it reminds us of just like we are all the same but different and that is how life goes you know and what a boring place it would be if we were all the same I have a part in there where I talk about um you know look at all the colors in in your pencil case you know if if all of the colors were just the same geez what a boring place mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a book that we all need it's a book that I need in order to like have the conversation starters with my children but it's it's so I feel like as a duty as a parent, whatever about opening up my eyes as an adult and educating myself, my bigger responsibility is to ensure that I'm doing that for them. Mm. And not just on racism. I mean, inclusion in general. Yeah, absolutely. Be because adults are going to take their own path. Adults are going to take their own responsibility. But my yeah. job as a mother, my responsibility as a mother is to try and raise them yeah. to be more conscious, to be more aware but also to support them because I don't know if it's going to be my child that's going to be excluded. 
Let's mm-hmm. not always think I'm reading this for my child so she's kind to other people. Maybe she's yeah. the one who's going to be singled out. 100%. And you never know where your life goes because I look back to and I see friends of mine um, whose parents never liked me and they didn't like me because I was black. And I see now that, that you know, we're no longer friends obviously because it was something that parents you know friendships that didn't want to happen but we we fast forward and uh their child is is now married to a person of color with mixed race kids (laughs) and I just I get a little giggle from that every now and then you know um but our kids are everything and over the pandemic in the height of it I was giving anti-racism talks workshops to primary and secondary schools I reached about 2,000 kids in total and the one thing that I will take from all of those workshops is the future is bright for Ireland those kids are exceptional so like the majority of kids and teens cannot comprehend why anybody would judge somebody because of the color of their skin or their heritage Um, and and that's that's beautiful that gives me such hope for the future of of our country you know because these kids are our future and when you look at the the black lives matter rallies who was out there in force marching were our teenagers Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and more power to them because they will change the world you know they've they've brought things to attention that our generation weren't able to do things such as like depression anxiety mm-hmm. um you know gender fluid just there's so much you know and they're being free to be who they are and and I love that and including even you know like just even the climate change all of the things they're standing for everything that is good so um yeah it gives me it gives me hope for the future thank you for everything you're doing not at all like it's, <laughs> I, it's it's it helps it's helped me it's it's helped me Sinead so you know and continued success with the Thanks. book with the TV career don't be worrying about January do not be worrying <laughs> about January <laughs> yeah. yeah the impact you've made in this world already you know the path you're on it's all good and just keep going Oh, thank you so much. That, you're so kind. That's so lovely to hear, Sinead. And, and thank you for having me on and giving me the time to, to talk to you and talk to, you, to your Absolute listeners. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Take care and talk soon. Thanks, Sinead. Take care. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, water wipes are made with just two ingredients our 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes, and the winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review or get in touch with this week's guest at emeroneal14 on Instagram. Talk to you again next week.